Amen. You can have a seat. If you're new with us, we're so glad you're here. Just so you know, it's a free room. You are free to clap. Amen. You can boo. If you, don't, if you hear something you don't like, you can boo. Um, whatever you need to do, we're so excited. <laughs> you're so, we're so excited that you're here uh, with us today and excited about what God already did uh, in our first service and what he's about to do among us right now. It is, um, it is important to me as a basketball fan to have a favorite player. I've had a favorite player my, my whole life, right, in the 80s and 90s. I was a Michael, like, how, who, who else could it be, right? So I was a Michael Jordan. That was my favorite player. It was easy. And then he retired, you know, about 20 years ago. And I was like, man, now what? What do I do? And God just blessed. This guy came on the scene. I saw him in college, and I just had this connection. I just fell in love. His name was Dwayne Wade. And for the next 15, 18 years, like, that was my favorite basketball player. And then a few years ago, he retired. And I was like, okay, now what? And I started trying to force some guys into my favorite player spot. Like I tried Donovan Mitchell out. I tried Giannis. Nothing wrong with those guys. If you don't know basketball, don't worry about it. We're going to leave it in a second. But it's just like, man, I'm trying to make myself love them like I love those other guys. And it's just not the same. And I don't know what to do. And I was kind of, I was kind of sad, you know. And then I found my guy. And I can't help it. Like I don't try to make him my favorite player. He just is. I can't turn the channel when he's on. His name, if you want to know, his name is Demetrius Jamel Morant, but the world knows him as Ja, right? Even the name to go with the game, you know what I'm saying? Ja, right? He was born, grew up less than three hours from here, South Carolina. Nobody recruited him. He accidentally got recruited to Murray State, and now he is, if you don't know, he's the future, right? You will know him, um, watch him, enjoy him. It is a gift of God watching him play ball, Amen. Amen. So, so <laughs> I like it. I like it, right? The men are with me. The, uh, this last Christmas, my kids know how I am. I, I have a, a daughter my, and two sons. My two sons went in together to buy me a ticket to go see Ja play in Charlotte. All right? He only comes to Charlotte once a year, different conferences, so they play twice, once in Memphis, once in Charlotte. And, and they, they even gave me the present before Christmas because they were worried, because of how I am, they were worried that I was going to buy myself a ticket, you know, to see John. I didn't know, and I didn't even know, you know, I hadn't looked at the schedule, but they bought me this ticket. I look at the ticket, and I find out it's on a Saturday night, right, and I'm preaching the next Sunday, Right, so Charlotte and but I don't care because I'm going to see Ja one. But better than that, honestly, than seeing Ja, and he was everything in person. Like, if you, ugh. but better, better than that was that my boys, 14 and 17, not a ton of money in their accounts. They pay like they they didn't say we want to go with you. They bought themselves. They paid for their own ticket and they paid for their dad's ticket. Right. I, I have never watched a game like I watched that game, right? I've, I've, you know, my dad took me to some game, but it was just my sons gave their money. I still to this day don't know how much the ticket cost, don't want to know, but it was a nice ticket. It was a nice seat. It was a beautiful game. And I'm telling you, you know from your own experience, it's not just what the gift is. It's the cost of the gift, Right? So everything we're going to hear today and what our culture calls Easter and, and what our culture calls Easter is what we're built on as a church. We celebrate this not just every Sunday, every day, 
right? And it's built on understanding. We want, we've been praying that would get in your heart a little deeper today, wherever you stand or don't stand with Jesus, a little deeper sinking in of how much your creator must love you because of the cost of what we celebrate today. I'm going to I'm going to give you four D's in a second. And to do that, we're going to look at just two simple verses in Hebrews. And, I, and the verse starts with since therefore. If you've been with us, you know I don't like to start a verse with since therefore. What is he talking about? We can't just jump in right there. So just leading up to this, it's saying what Jesus accomplished for us, the cost of the cross, what he did. What it did is it made us able to connect with our God through Jesus. Like able, the, the verbiage in this is like family and it's talking about brothers and sisters with Jesus, with the same father, right? I told first service, if, if Jesus shows up at your cookout, he's hanging out with you. Like that's, he's, we're, he's able to come to us like, well, you don't know my family. Jesus does and he would not walk the other way. He would want to hang out at your cookout. That's who he is, that's who he was, that's who he continues to be. So he, by everything that we celebrate today, he's accessible Right? So that's what this chapter has been talking about. We're going to pick up in verse 14, Hebrews 2. Since therefore, all that, the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood. He, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. What same things? Flesh and blood. All right, this, this is the difference. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of chatter about religion, right? And we stand against religion as Jesus did. There's a lot of chatter about everything's kind of the same thing with different titles. And the difference is every man-made religion, what's the difference? It was made from man. It came from the mind of a human, and it was man's best effort of how I think we get back to God. Here's how we could be right with God. Here's how we could be at peace with God. Here's how we get God's approval, God's forgive, whatever. The difference in Christianity, if you want to call it that, is the, is the gospel says there is no path to get back to God. And God knew that, so instead of a path for us to get to him, he sent Jesus to get to us. That's the difference. So he became, so to do that, this is what we celebrate this weekend and every day, like I said, well, to do that, it says that he had to, he had to get flesh and blood. He had to become human even though he was fully God so that he could relate. So I didn't have to stand up here and preach a message with all that must be in this room that I would have no idea about, but knowing that as I preach that, there's a God who's working in the room, and he knows whatever you got, and he can feel it and experience because Jesus wasn't up there. He actually showed up and walked and lived the hardness of the human life and had flesh and blood, just like you. He partook and became a human. Why? That through death, next verse, this is a first D, that through death, that's the cost. That's what had to happen. And we've been sitting in that for a while as a church of why there had to be a sacrifice once and for all. And death was that sacrifice, the ultimate cost, right? I opened Easter Sunday with my John Morant story, but that really doesn't do any justice to what we're talking about. The cost of a perfect God sending his holy son for one purpose, to come and complete a mission of death in order to bring us back to the Father. That was the cost. And if you are struggling in life today, just know that Jesus, even though he was fully God, and even though he came in love and God so loved the world and, and Jesus' love kept him on the cross when he could have stopped it all, even though that night before in his flesh and blood, Scripture says he was overwhelmed with sorrow. 
Our Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He almost died from sorrow before he ever got to the cross. Not because he didn't want to do it, but he didn't want to become our sin in a way, right? Because he was holy and he was God in a human body, but he did. And he was obedient even to death on the cross. So that's our first D. Through death, next three words say, he might destroy. That through death, he, Jesus, might destroy. Now, if you know much about the cross and the crucifixion, and, and, and we've talked on other Easter's about how brutal and gory it was. We're not going to do that today, but the, the word excruciating in the English language, its root word is, comes from crucifixion and the cross. It is not coincidental or accidental that Jesus was born into the time where they had perfected how to torture someone without them actually dying and just draw it out and horrible. So if you were there that day, you would have said, that, that man is getting destroyed. But this says that through his death, Jesus was doing the destroying. Right, I told um, first service, some of them may be old enough, some of you may be old enough to, to remember watching Muhammad Ali fight. Right, I know Muhammad Ali, but I, wasn't, I never watched him fight. But then one of his most, probably his most famous fight was where he did something that, that came known as rope-a-dope. Right? And, you, and some of you thought Muhammad Ali came up with rope-a-dope. That was actually Jesus. Right? Muhammad Ali stole that from Jesus, right? Because rope dope is he's acting like he's getting beat and he's just not punching and he's just taking and wearing the other guy out. And in the end, right, the other dude's worn out and he wins, but it looked like he's getting destroyed and then the, the, the end of the fight and he was in charge and control the whole time. That's what Jesus is doing. He's allowing his body to be destroyed because he wants that, because that's the path to free us from sin and death. If you were there that day, you would not call him a king or a son of anybody, God or Messiah or Christ or any of that. He was visually being destroyed, physically being destroyed, but the reality was he was in charge and he was destroying. Well, destroying what? Here's the next verse. Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. That in his death, he was destroying the devil. Now, somebody's like, well, what devil? Like, that's like child. That's like, no, the devil is as real as God is. And you say, well, he destroyed the devil because so is the devil gone? No, the devil still exists. Satan, the enemy, he still exists. He didn't, he didn't cease to exist. So what does it mean when it says he destroyed him? Here's what it means. This is Easter. This is beautiful. This is gospel. This, this is affecting your life whether you want to realize it or not. When he destroyed death, he took the sting He took what the enemy, the devil, had been using and holding over humanity from all time. Next week, we start a series. I'm pumped about this series. It's called FOMO, F-O-M-O, Fear of Missing Out. And we're going to begin that series in the Garden of Eden, right? And Adam and Eve, and and Satan was there, and he was tempting. And once they gave in to sin, sin equals death. Once sin came into the world, now death is coming for everybody. And it's inevitable. And he, in a way held the power because he knew no matter how good, how much we tried, no matter how much we tried to behave, we would always sin. And as soon as we sin, death is coming and it's unavoidable. So he bullied us and he mocked us and he taunted humanity for all of time but up until Jesus that, hey, you can live, you can worship, you can do whatever. And guess what? Death's still coming. You might live longer than your granddaddy. It doesn't matter. Death is still coming and there's nothing you can do about it. Until Jesus, man, that name, 
Right? There's an old song, there's just something about that name. There's, there's only one. It's not accidental that he attacked death because he knew, right? Remember where we are, we're 2,000 years ago. There's no smartphone, right? The technological, medical, scientific knowledge they had compared to us, it's like night and day. What could somebody 2,000 years ago figure out, perfect, defeat that would matter 2,000 years later? Because we advanced so fast. There's only one thing. He defeated death because he knew death would be something humanity would never figure out. We would never have an answer for on our own. And when he defeated death, he took the weapon, the taunt, the heckle, the bully of Satan that says, hey, death is coming. You're going to end. Have fun. Try to ignore it. Try to, try to pretend like it's not coming. But it is. Your death will come, and it's going to own you. And it did until Jesus showed that the undefeated dragon of death is actually defeatable. He said, watch this. I'm going to die like every other human ever has. I'm going to die just like them in an awful way, but I'm going to be just as dead as everybody else. But watch this. Death doesn't do to me what it did to everybody else. Death is a temporary window. I'm not staying in the grave. It's not over. And if it's not over for him, he says, we get in on that if we're his. And if it's not over for him, it's not over for us. And here's the, the fourth D that he came through death to destroy the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We're the slaves, how, how are we slaves? Here's how we're slaves. What are you gonna do with your life? What are you gonna accomplish? You're gonna end. And it may be today, it may not, but it, you know it's coming and we can medicate and pretend and we can do all this stuff, but we know deep down and we see it. Some of us don't go to funerals because we just want to avoid or whatever and that's your right. But at the end of the day, we're slaves to death is coming and there's zero you can do about it until Jesus, he delivered, he freed us from the fear of death. He says, watch this. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back and talk to you and walk and appear to hundreds of people to make sure you know death isn't what you thought it was. Death is not the end of anything. He delivered us from that fear. And we get, we get all kinds of reminders, right? Because sometimes, you know, some folks in the room don't amen this. Some people around my age your body starts to let you know. It's temporary, right? We, uh, I've told you before, I coach my daughter's basketball team and uh, season's over, but on the last day of practice, we, they wanted to do, and I wanted to do, the conditioning drill we did over and over and over and over, and we saw progress. It was so fun just to see athletes progress. We do this drill called 90 seconds. Well, I did it with them like I'd been doing most of the season. Well, I didn't know at the time that one of the players, because she's a senior and she's sentimental, she wanted to video us doing our 90 seconds conditioning drill so she could remember it, right? So I, I didn't know it at the time, but after practice, she was talking about that and I said, let me see that. So I, I look at her phone, I'm watching me and the team do 90 seconds. And honestly, my first thought is, who's that dude? <laughs> like some old man snuck in the gym and ran. And I guess I thought about it later, like when was the last time I saw myself running on video? It was probably sometime in the 1990s. Yo, I had no idea. I had no idea that's how I look when I, like, I was so, I was down for days. Like, that, I was thinking, well, maybe I was hurt that day. Maybe, no, like, that was my best effort at running. Nobody told me that's how I look when I run. 
We know, right? Deep down, you don't have to agree on a. We know these things have an expiration date. And it's okay, right? Scripture tells us this is a suitcase. This is a shell. This is a storage unit. This ain't me. This body is not me. It's what my, what my real soul is covered with. It's what you see, but it's not me. Jesus didn't came, come to deliver our human bodies. We know they're going to end. He came to destroy death and the one who holds the power of death and to deliver us from the fear of death so we could actually live the lives that he called us to live. And that's beautiful and that's powerful and that's true and I would preach it every Sunday, all year, all the time. The problem is, not the problem with the truth, the problem is life. We could talk about a Jesus 2,000 years ago that on faith you believe rose from the dead and then you go out here to life and you see and you watch and you experience and it's so hard. And then like, well, what do I do with this God who loves me and then life and how does that work? And instead of me trying to preach the answer to that, we just have a beautiful testimony that I want to share with you. One of our amazing staff members, her name is Takesha. And she's going to tell her story. I want you to direct your attention to the screens. And this story is how a God works through anything and everything, even the worst. Check it out. Well, I'm Takesha Dockery Ragland. Um, I am currently serving as the children's ministry director um, here at Relentless. I grew up in Lumberton, North Carolina, um, south side of Lumberton, North Carolina. Um, I always felt like I had a really eclectic like background and upbringing. Um, I grew up on the south side, predominantly like black area. Um, I went to school on the other side of town, um, and like my background, like with religion, I was like, I, I got to see and experience a lot of like different types. I feel like I had this this thing kind of happen when you know, my my dad got sick, and um, I just know he started coughing a lot. Um, a lot at just different times and he got checked out and they found out that he had lung cancer. I didn't know exactly what it was but I knew it was something bad but I thought that it was something that he could overcome because he was my dad and he overcame everything. You know, He was a veteran. Um, he had went into the army um, right after high school and he jumped from airplanes and he was a military policeman and then he got out and he was a police officer in Lumberton. My dad could do everything, you know, and this was nothing different. And so we kind of were going through that. Um, and then we got to a point where out of the blue, you know, <laughs> one day I was, um, I was with my, I was at my grandmother's house, my grandmother lived in walking distance to my mother. And I was at her house and my mom walked down and she was talking and she said, well, do you want to spend the night over here tonight or are you coming home? And I said, I'm going to stay here because my grandma had HBO at that time and I could watch some of my shows and we didn't have that type of cable in, in our house and I wanted to stay over there. And so she was like, okay, um, 
And I remember she told me, she said, I was outside playing, and she, she told me, um, I said, well, where are you going? She said, I'm going home to clean up, and I'll be back. And that was the last time that I saw her. And I thought she was coming back. But later that night, my uncle and her walked down the street to like this neighborhood bar and little restaurant area. And there was a guy that came in and he was I don't know, they said he was kind of out of his mind. He was trying to order food. And the, the establishment, they didn't want to serve him because of whatever state he was in. And so they was trying to kick him out. And my mom tried to intervene and tell them, just give him some food. And they didn't. The guy got really upset, went to his car, and pulled out a shotgun, and again, he tried to approach the place to go in, and my mom tried to intervene, and he shot her. Um, fast forward five months after that, my dad passed away. After my dad passed, I, I, um, I didn't speak for a long time. I don't know how long it was, is I wasn't doing it intentionally. I was having a dialogue with God, and I was trying to understand without, again, being disrespectful and asking why he would do this, you know. I feel like through that time when I was really just zoned in and connected with God, because I really didn't know where else to be. And I felt like when I was being comforted through that, like that amount of love and comfort, I describe it as if, you know, you're curled up in somebody's arm because that feels good. This felt way beyond that. Like, I don't have a word for that. It was, it was just all encompassing, like comfort. Like I, I knew that like, this is not it. Like this, you're going to be fine. There, there's more to come. I feel closer to God because of, and I know it sounds really hard to explain and, and understand because you feel like, well, I think it's easy to think you've dealt with so much hurt and pain and death and maybe it was unfair because you were, you know, doing all these things and praying and trying to be a good girl and all this stuff, like, you didn't deserve that type thing, you know. So how can a God love you? Why would he allow all that to happen? Um, and I think, like, again, if I didn't have that foundation and know, and if I hadn't experienced what I experienced and felt his love in that way, I would probably think that too. And I would run in the opposite way because what what God would, would do this, you know? But... It's, it's the total opposite. It's the total opposite. And I wish I had all the right words to say to make someone understand, but, and I wouldn't want anybody to have to go through all of that to get to this point. But I do feel like 
one of his greatest examples of showing that to us without having to experience it before, I mean, it's going to happen to us all, you know, at some point in time, is through what Christ did on the cross. Like, that is it. I mean, for me, again, at that time at 10, I was putting it all together. But as I got older, like, I'm able to see, like, he sh this is how much I love you. Before something like what happens to me where everything, you know, kind of fell apart and I had the death of my parents and I, you know, stopped speaking and, and had to get to that point. Like, he was showing me all along, like, I love you this much already, you know, that Christ died on the cross for me, you know. Um, for me, that's how I kind of see it and feel it. And I do feel like there's more for us. Um, it can't just be this. Like, it, like it, it can't be because it's too much that he's done for us. Too much love that's there for it to just end here. I, like, I think that part would be cruel if this was just it. There's, there's nothing more. Um, but I, I know in my heart, I know that there's, there's more. Yeah, thank you for applauding for that. We, um, I think we were interviewing about a year and a half. We were interviewing Takesha, and I didn't know that whole story. And it, it wasn't an interview. It was just a, a praise God session of her testimony. And um, she was willing to share that with us as, as the church. And, you know, what do you, what do, you do with that, right? We're, we're not showing it because it's sad. We're showing it because it's powerful. And, and we want you to be real uh, with where you stand with with this God and have you experienced and, and is it even true because it's really easy it's really easy to to maybe wonder if we haven't made some of this up because life is hard and death is really hard and man we just need something to tell ourselves to feel better to get us through the toughest times right and I get that thinking but man the more you dive in the more the more God will let you know you're, you're not putting your hope in in something empty, that he'll actually show up in the worst, and he'll give you a testimony that nobody can argue with you about. There's four words that are my favorite in all of scripture, right? And there's a lot of options, four word phrases, right? We were talking about a few weeks ago, let my people go. That's a good phrase, right? I love it when, when Peter came to Jesus, the first time he was saying, guys, I'm going to go, they're going to kill me. And these guys had left everything and based their life on him being the Messiah, the promise, the anointed, the Christ. And, and they thought in their human thinking, he's going to come and overthrow Rome and, and do all this stuff. And Peter pulled Jesus aside respectfully. He's like, Jesus, they ain't going to kill you, man. Now you're, you're the one. Like then nobody can kill you. And, and Jesus said these four words, get behind me, Satan. Right? Some of us have been in some tough spots, but Jesus looking at you and calling you Satan, that's a, that's a bad day. Right? <laughs> And, and he wasn't saying he was actually Satan. He was, again, that, because it, it, it reads in Scripture like Satan thought he was winning, even up into the cross. He didn't know what Jesus was accomplishing until after the fact. And Jesus was coming. He did some awesome teaching and some awesome miracles. But he was here for a reason, to go to the cross. And here was one of his guys, like, planting these seeds of maybe you don't have to. And Jesus like, no, I'm not hearing that. So, you know, come and follow me. It's a great foreword. Trust in the Lord. But here's my favorite four words. It comes, it, they were spoken on a morning 
almost 2,000 years ago. It was a Sunday morning. And Jesus had died and his followers were, I mean, crushed doesn't even do it. Like they thought he was the, the son of God and he had done things that only the son of God could do. And then he didn't just die. I mean, he died like that. Brutally beaten, pathetic, people mocking him, insulting him. Hey, you could save others, now you can't save yourself. And they were not hopeful. Some of the women that were part of Jesus' group, they went because they were going to put some oils and spices on his body to, for his um, burial. He was in a tomb, but he wasn't where he was going to end up being. And they went to that place and an angel met them there and asked them a question of why would you look for the living among the dead? And then that angel said these four words, my favorite in all of scripture. He is not here. He hadn't been stolen. They weren't in the wrong tomb. They didn't take a wrong turn somewhere. Jesus had actually defeated death. He had exposed it for what it actually is. It tries to scare us, but it's not worthy of our fear. And that's great to believe and great to follow and great to say. But this morning, like, how do you know? Like, this is a pretty high stakes, because if you believe this, that, that through death, he destroyed the devil and delivers you from bondage, and now he is not here, means you're going to live again, and you can live your whole life in relationship with a God who will meet you like, like he, in your circumstance, whatever it is, like Takesha shared with us. Like, that changes everything, not just about your death. It changes everything about your life. How do you know? Are like, you going to take my word for it? You can take Takesha's word for it. You can take it because a verse says it. I'm going to give you two reasons. And yes, reason is from God. God wants you to use the brain that he gave you. Two reasons that you can leave here today knowing that it's exactly what we preach and what it, the scripture claims that it is. First thing is because Jesus rose from the dead. Well, how do we know? If you, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, then you've got to believe that we can defeat death because his whole thing was, I'm going to defeat this and then you're going to get on it, in on it like I'm going to do this for you just as I was raised, now you will raise. So how do we actually know Jesus rose from the dead? Because I didn't see it. I got no video proof to show you. And I've thought about it. And there's a lot that I'm still confused on. There's a lot I'm still working through and probably always will be. But I stand here today along with a lot of you. I'm not alone. I'm more confident today than I've ever been in my life that I will not die. Yes, this body will end, but me, the essence of me, I will not die. And the reason I believe that wholeheartedly is because I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that because nothing else makes sense. Like, just think about the details. Right, one, the, you know, because you could think, hey, some, some guys kind of made up this story and started a really, you know, that would have that would have been really dumb, right? Because it cost them their lives. It also, if you're gonna make up a story, you don't include the details about you doubting it when the Savior told you I'm gonna raise from the dead, and then he actually does, and you don't even believe it at first, because the women that I that went to the angel who said he is not here, they ran back to tell everybody, y'all aren't gonna believe it. And they didn't believe them. They didn't believe the women. They're like, what are y'all talking about? You're Right? They, they just look really bad in the historical documents that we call scripture where they're telling us. And if you're going to make something up, 
Here's, what, here's the last thing you do. You don't let women be the first eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. Because in the first century, they were not believable. They were not credible in a court of law because of the male-female dynamic. So the last thing you would want if you're trying to convince a culture of something is to let women be the first eyewitnesses, which was on purpose and by design, that Jesus appeared first to the women in a new covenant, new way, new everything. So many Details that we could talk about, but just think about, like, back up the perspective. What are the chances that we could be in America, across the ocean, 2,000 years later, worshiping an invisible Jesus, who was what? A carpenter. His parents weren't famous. He had no, like, royal heritage. He had no money. He had no military. He had no might, according to the world. He had no power. And we're baptizing people into this Jesus. We're worshiping. We're living our lives in connection. We're telling stories about the worst possible scenario and how God meets us and comforts us and carries us. Like think about these disciples who all of them but one, as far as we know, they weren't even at the cross. They didn't even show up for their leader's Like, if you think he's the son of God, maybe you think he's going to do something here, but it got so bad that they were worried if we go to the cross, they might put us on one too. They were scared. The women were there, and we think John was there, but the rest of the guys, they were hiding. What in the world could make cowards stand in the places they stood and proclaim the gospel just months afterwards? And we have historical evidence of so many of these guys being in situations where the governing authorities or whoever said, listen, you got to stop talking about the risen Jesus. In fact, we're going to kill you if you don't. You can either deny that you ever saw a risen Jesus or you can die. And all of them, it reads and acts and, and feels like it was an easy decision. And they were killed. Like Jesus didn't swoop in and save the day. No, like he passed the test. No. They died horrible deaths. And their attitude was, really? What are you going to do? Kill us? We know what that means. We saw it. They didn't have faith. We live on faith. They didn't have faith. They saw a risen Jesus. So like bring it on. Either I'm going to keep talking about the risen Jesus as part of this new multi-ethnic movement and mission, or you're going to kill me and I'm going to be with Jesus. Not on faith. We saw him. Not for a day. It was 40 days. We appeared. He wasn't hiding. It was real. We know it. The whole world changed that weekend. And it's still changing. Nothing else makes sense. But I wouldn't dare stop with that one reason. Because it it always needs to be connected to reason number two. Because if we just preach and teach and live and act like we have a risen Jesus that did something amazing 2,000 years ago, and we're just sitting around waiting to see him again, and in the meantime, I don't know, figure it out and try not to mess up your life, that's really not compelling. The risen Jesus didn't just live that day. He lives today. And he's active And he will show up in your life. Here's the second reason. Specifically, he will always show up in your surrender. That's a promise. 
And it's a sweet truth that some of you have tasted and known. And surrender means giving up control. Like, I'm not in charge of my life. I'm trusting you. We don't, we don't really talk a lot about believing in God around here because we don't think it's very valuable to believe in God. Right? It's almost worthless. Not quite, but almost. And Jesus didn't call anybody to believe in him. He called people to follow him, trust him, surrender to him. If you're doubting, if you're struggling, there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of the process. But if that's where you're at, there's an area of your life, or maybe it's your whole life, you want to see Jesus show up powerful in your specific life, I'm telling you, surrender. Say, I'm giving this to you. I've tried it my way. What do you want? And if you need help, that's what the church is for, to walk through things and stuff and issues and doubts. But Jesus, he always shows up when we surrender. And it's not just that he died. It's not just that he rose. It's that he loved us so much and he created us and he's got a plan and a purpose for us and our surrender to him. That's the key, right? There's people that are frustrated. There's people that are like, man, I tried the Jesus thing. It really wasn't my thing. You know what was lacking? Surrender. You try to be a Christian without surrendering to Jesus, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to miss the power of him showing up in your life. He's not a consultant. He's Savior and Lord, and he calls us to surrender, and not one time in my entire life have I regretted surrendering to Jesus. He'll show up, and you surrender, but the day-in, day-out surrendering to this risen Jesus that gives us hope and freedom and all the stuff we celebrate, it starts with an initial overarching surrender. And it's Easter Sunday, if you didn't know. What better Sunday to give an opportunity? Please, man, we've prayed and worked. This is not a sales pitch or a pressure moment. Like, we don't want you to do anything that you don't want to do. We just know in our church, there's people that have been thinking and praying and wondering, and, and have I surrendered or have I not? And they've not made the initial first-time decision to give their life to Jesus. He gave us this beautiful picture, this visual. You know, we talked about all the Old Testament system and rituals and all that they did, and now we're in the New Covenant, and we really, we have two of those things that Scripture gives us. We have communion, which we celebrated last week, and we have baptism, which we celebrate today. Here's the visual. He does not call us to go die that horrible death that he died. He did it for us. He does call us to die a spiritual death, a, a, an illustrative death, where Jesus was on the cross, and he died and was buried. And when he was buried, like this was just, there was no point. There was no hope. He was just another religious dude saying crazy stuff. And then it wasn't, it didn't last. It didn't have staying power. When he rose from the dead that Sunday morning, that changed everything about everything. The new everything, your purpose, your life, everything changed because he was dead, buried, and rose again. He said, he told the early church, the Gospel Center Forever Focused Multi-Ethnic Movement that we are continuing of, he says, I want you to go to all the people groups, the nations, and I want you to baptize them. It's this picture, just as Jesus now, you're not on a cross, you stand in water, and it's been done in ponds and lakes and oceans and bathtubs, and this morning it's going to be done in this pool in the front of our church. And someone stands and they are dying to their self. They're buried, not physically buried, but their old way, being in charge of their own life is buried. And they come up new, washed, cleansed, belonging to the Jesus that through death destroyed the devil and delivered us from fear. It's beautiful. We got to witness 
a young lady first service named Kia. Give her life and, and end baptism. And we celebrated that. And we're going to celebrate that again this morning in second 11 o'clock service. Let me, let me, this is kind of oversimplified, hopefully not offensive. Let me put everybody in the room in one of two buckets. Can we do that? One, I have surrendered my life to Jesus. You know who you are. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you don't need me to tell you. You know he always shows up in your surrender. And sometimes it's harder than others, but he's always there. He comes through. He's been coming through for 2000, since the beginning of time. You know it. We call you. If you're in this bucket, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. Celebrate it. Sing it. When we give you a chance, you don't care what the song is. Just give me something about Jesus. Give me something about him defeating death. Give me something about coming through because I'm made to worship him, not just on a Sunday, like Monday, too. Like, come on. And celebrate others. Celebrate Kia, who I just mentioned, who most of you have never met. It doesn't matter. You don't have to meet her. A young woman trusted Jesus. And you celebrate when others come home and you partner with him and and you understand and celebrate it was not just a decision you made a month ago a year ago or way back it wasn't a decision you made it is a life that you live in connection with the risen Jesus who's not sitting up there waiting to get back together oh he's working and active and doing every single minute of every single day if that's you I also want you to sit in the truth and this just blows my mind every day I want you to sit and honestly think about the reality. If you're his, you're never going to end. We don't understand forever because we've never been there. Right? Everything here has deadlines. You're never, your existence, your body will end, yes. You, you will get a new body that doesn't break down in a new place. And that place, it will not, like, will not, We don't need any calendars. Why? It will never. You're going to live forever. Soak that up. Praise God. Be. Walk out with that. That's one bucket. The other bucket is a group of folks that are so near and dear to Relentless Church because we believe that God is a relentless God who doesn't give up on anybody. This is folks that know you're not surrendered to Jesus or you're not even sure if you are. You kind of just, I don't know where I'm at. We're thankful you're here. And honestly, some of you need to have conversations and let us walk with you. We'd love to do that. It's not, you know, it's not all. But some of you, you don't really need that. You know. Surrendering and baptism, like you're you're feeling that. Even as I've been talking, it's not because I'm preaching a certain way or whatever. That's not me, right? If you're feeling something in your body, know that that's God. It's not what you ate for breakfast, right? It is the God of the universe, calling you to him. I sent Jesus because I love you that much. I did the hard, the heavy lifting. I died to death that you could never die. And I, and I defeated death. I destroyed the devil and I delivered you. What I want is to live every day with you, but you got to surrender. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Here's how it's going to work. Right? Maybe right. You can decide to surrender right where you are. You don't need me. You make that choice with your life. But you need to have a physical acknowledgement of that. So if you want to make that today, we're going to celebrate with you. Here's how it works. I'm going to pray. Here's your cue. You ready for your cue word? Amen. When I pray, I'm going to end my prayer. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to pray to God on our behalf. I don't know. But I know what's coming at the very end of that prayer. Four-letter word. 
Amen. When I say amen, if you want to be baptized today, right, I want you to just boldly stand up. And I want you to meet me in the back room, my left, your right. I want you to meet me right back there. And you're thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I'm kind of feeling something. I kind of think the God of the universe, I think this might be my day, but I can't do that today. It's Easter. I can't water with what I'm wearing. We got you. It's not our first time. Like, we got clothes. We got undergarments. We got tall. We got small. We got everything that you could need to change into. We got towels. We got all of it. We got capri pants. You want to be baptized in capris? We got you. You think, well, 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 well I, can't, I can't do that because, because Aunt Helen's not here. Forget Aunt Helen, right? Jesus went to a cross and died for your sins, and he's calling you to him, and you're worried about Aunt Helen. Aunt Helen should have come to church. And you know what else? If I know Aunt Helen, which I don't, I just made her up, but if I know Aunt Helen, she'll be thrilled. And we'll, back, we'll video it, and we'll show Aunt Helen, and she'll be thrilled for you. This is about you if it's your moment of surrender. And we're going to ask if it is that you'd know that as I pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you that this is, this is not a fairy tale or this did not come from, that this is historical. There's been so many people that claim so many things, but, but you actually came for us. And we can be confident in what's to come. And our confidence can come from the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, but not just that, that he'll show up. That he'll show up in our surrender every single time. God, would you speak to this room of, of what that surrender looks like specifically for your people, the ones that know you and love you, that what they need to surrender. Would you be super clear and good to them in this moment? And God, for those, those that have not surrendered, those that are feeling your call and your love towards them, would you give them courage to respond and know it's the best decision they could ever make? God, I pray we would worship you just moved by the reality of what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.